0: Hey, let's uh, go ahead and uh, dive into what we're talking about here today and get going with the message. Um, If you're new around here, we are in a uh, short series called Mirage. Often we uh, preach verse by verse through whole books of the Bible. We did that for a long time, and now we're doing some topical stuff over the fall. Um, But really, we're looking at some spiritual ideas uh, that end up hurting people. And so um, I'll just get started here by telling you a little bit of a story uh, when I was 13 years old, I traveled with my parents on a ministry trip all throughout Europe. We went to, I, if I recall right, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 countries. It was it was pretty amazing. Um, of course, you don't really <laughs> appreciate it when you're 12, 13, right? But looking back, I sure appreciate it. Uh, so, it, one of the highlights from that trip in Holland, uh, we visited the house of this author and speaker uh, named Corey Ten Boom. Has anybody heard of Corey Ten Boom? Yeah, quite a few of you. Uh, she was really famous. Because during World War II, they began, they were Christians, and they felt moved to to help rescue and save the Jews. And so they would hide the Jews in their house, and they actually um, had an architect come in, and they designed this little hidden space in their house called the hiding place. So I got to go there when I was 13. We'd heard about her because my pastor growing up, he had done Bible studies with her. She'd had such an impact on his life. And so we got to go in, we got to see this hiding place and, and kind of stand inside of it and just imagine what that would be like. Well, here's the thing if, if you don't know the story of Corey Temboom, um, during World War II, somebody gave him away, gave him up. And so the Nazis arrested her whole family arrested her and her sister. Very shortly after that, her father died. And then her and her sister Betsy were both in the, the Ravensbrook concentration camp. Brutal conditions, just awful. And she watched her, her sister during this time, her health decline. And because of the brutal conditions, she died. And 15 days later, Corey Ten Boom was released. After just incredible, an incredibly brutal experience and and traumatic experience. But during that whole period of time in the concentration camps, I mean, she had, they, had, they had led Bible studies with a smuggled Bible. They'd done all kinds of things. And she'd watched God come through in some incredible ways. And so after that, she ended up writing a book about all of her experiences and, and you know, finding forgiveness and all these different things and how God protected her and the amazing things that God did during this time. And during that time, she she became an author and a speaker, and she began traveling all over the world telling the story of what God did during this time. And uh, as she would travel and tell the story, she'd meet all kinds of people. Well, at one of the events where she was speaking, at the end of it, this guy starts walking right up to her. And immediately, she recognizes him because it was one of her guards from Ravensbrück concentration camp. One of the more brutal guards, the one she remembered that was particularly brutal. And he came up to her, and he extended his hand. And he told her, after the war, he had met Jesus. And Jesus had changed his life, and he found forgiveness and freedom from all the awful things he had done. And he extended his hand to her, this guy who played a significant role in her sister's death, and he asked Will you forgive me? Now, can you imagine what she was feeling like in that moment? What would you be feeling like in that moment? What would you be thinking? You see, I think most of us think we're pretty good at forgiving because uh, we let go of things, right? Sometimes we will let go of things. Maybe somebody steals your parking space. You know, and you get a little ticked off, but you're like, all right. You don't go home and stay awake all night think stewing over it, do you? You let it go, Right? You let it go. Somebody cuts you off in the freeway. And, um, you know, I'm sure because you're all good Christian people, many of you, right? You you just give them a friendly wave, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. Give them a friendly wave. They go on. And, you know, you don't stew about it for three weeks. You just kind of let it go, right? You just kind of let it go. Your neighbor's dog gets into your trash again. You pick it up. You put it back, right? Because, because, but here's the thing: you think I'm pretty good at forgiving. Well, maybe you are, but honestly, a lot of these things are just about being more mature. One of the when you mature, you know, you let things go that you might not have let go when you were, you know, a kid, right? There are things that got you all mad, and now you're growing up a little bit, and you let it go. You realize life's too short; it's not worth feeling all this anger over this. Just let it go. And so we think sometimes we're really good at forgiving. But then you look at a story like Corey Ten Boom, And here's how I think most people operate is, is, is they, they let a bunch of stuff go. But then there's that one or two or three things that you feel like it's your right to hang on to. That you feel like, I, I just, I can't forgive this. And maybe you feel guilty about it because you know you're supposed to, but there's nothing in you that wants to forgive that. Because the pain and the hurt is so deep. So I think, you know, when you hear about forgiveness, especially if you grew up in church, you know forgiveness is a good thing. I mean, even the culture knows that forgiveness is a good thing and good for you, right? I was doing some research as I was preparing for this talk, and I found um, a bunch of different reasons in all places. The Huffington Post. And I thought, hey, these are actually pretty good. Check this out. I think these are true, isn't it? These are great reasons why you should forgive because it sets you free. It sets you free. It helps you move forward with your life. It begins your healing process. It removes anger and malice from your heart. That's true, right? You're, you're no longer giving someone else authority over your mind and heart. Have you ever noticed when you struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness that it's like allowing somebody to live in your brain and they don't even have to pay rent? And they're just tormenting you in your brain. It's like, I got to get these people out of here, right? So part of it, it says, you'll have peace of mind. And that's a great benefit of forgiveness. And forgiveness is the best revenge. And See, I think those things are all, all good things and great benefits of forgiveness. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a better reason to forgive. There's a more vital reason to forgive. And see, some of you, you're, you're really held captive bitterness, You know but forgiveness is good for you, but there's just those things that you've chosen just to hang on to. Neil Anderson, the author of The Bondage Breakers, says this in his, in his book, well-known book. He says, most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. There's some areas where you've kind of told God, not in these words, but essentially you've said this, this area is off-limits. You know, you can have these little areas. I'll let these go. I'm mature. But then there's these one or two areas where you refuse to forgive. You refuse to let go. And here's what you see is in the New Testament, forgiveness isn't just an optional step for followers of Jesus. I mean, it may be good for you and you know, you know all that, but it's not just like extra credit for Christians. It's, it's, it's essential. And for some of you, it's gonna be the key that's going to help you move beyond what's crippling you emotionally and holding you back. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And I want to illustrate, show you a, uh, a scripture that really illustrates how essential Jesus views forgiveness as. Matthew 18, verse 21. They're having this conversation in this big, long section about what the kingdom of God. Um, Matthew uses the term the kingdom of heaven because he's writing to Jewish people. Jewish people at the time wouldn't write the name of God, and so he substitutes the name heaven in here. But whenever you see kingdom of heaven in Matthew, it's referring to the same thing as the kingdom of God in the rest of the New Testament. And so it says this. As they're having this big discussion, and Jesus has just told them this sort of this what to do if somebody wrongs you and offends you. It says this in Matthew 18, verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Peter, at this point, he's, he's got this kind of grin on his face because he's pretty proud of himself. He's like, I'm being pretty generous here. And here's why he's being pretty generous here. It's because in, in rabbinic teaching in, in Jewish culture, in the first century... Um, they believed you had to forgive someone. There is a tradition that says you have to forgive somebody three times. And then after that, you can basically write them off, you know. After that, you're kablooey, you know, you're, you're done, write them off. And so Peter's thinking, I'm going to be really generous here. I'm going to get some extra credit points with Jesus here. And so I know the rabbis say three times, let's just double it and then I'll add one for good measure just because I'm Peter, you know. And he's waiting. He's thinking he's going to get a big attaboy. Like, good job, Peter. Now you're getting what I'm saying. And instead, here's what Jesus says. He looks at him and says this. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Or some of your translations literally say 70 times, 70 times. That's because the Greek could mean either one of those. And so the point Jesus is saying, Peter's asking, how many times? And the point Jesus is making isn't like, okay, 77 times and Peter starts counting them up. You know, well, let's see. I've only got, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes. That's going to be hard to keep track of all these times. And Jesus is like, that's the point. You're not supposed to count. You just forgive. You forgive. When somebody's repenting, you you forgive them. Right? And so Jesus then, he launches into this story as Jesus often does. They're called parables. They're a made up story to make a point. And Jesus says this in verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, just to put this in context, because um, it's actually different in the original manuscripts, but... NIV adds this so you can kind of get an idea of how much money we're talking about here. When you translate the original currency here, this would add up to right about $600 million. And so right away, Jesus is telling the story, which is over the top. Jesus often does this because he's trying to make a point. And so it's like, what king would ever loan somebody $600 million? How do you get into $600 million of debt? That's a lot of designer jeans on your credit card. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Who would ever be in that much debt? Who could ever get into that much debt? And everybody's got the crowds kind of going along with them. And they're like, I can't believe that. And so what does the king do? Exactly what everybody would expect in the time. See, because in the first century, there was no bankruptcy. You know, you couldn't go through bankruptcy and sort of write it all off and start over. No, no, no. If you owed somebody, they had the right to throw you into prison until all your family and friends would kind of come together. And, uh, and actually, you could sell their whole family off into slavery too and collect the debt that they owed you. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You believe that? And the crowd's just shocked. Number one, the king would, this guy falls down and asks for pity. For $600 million of debt? I don't think so, right? But then the king does the unthinkable he cancels or forgives him, cancels the debt, says it's clean it's clean. And at this time, this is a happy story, isn't it? Everybody's going, wow, this is amazing. Unbelievable, but amazing. This has got to be the best day of this guy's life. You can just see him skipping out of there, running home to tell his wife and his kids, and you know, who are about ready to be thrown into debtor's jail. And then on his way out, That's when they, you know, if there was a soundtrack, if there's a movie, all of a sudden the soundtrack would turn dark, you know, doo-doo, you'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, something bad's coming up, you know, because Jesus says, but, but, and this is like, what? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. 100 silver coins. Now, just to put that in context, that's about 400 when you translate the original amount in the currency. It's about four months' wages for a day laborer. So, not like an insignificant amount of money, four months' wages, but nowhere near $600 million, right? And so he says he found some, a fellow servant who owed him 100 silver coins, or four months' wages. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And then listen, does this sound familiar? His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. And if you're, as you're listening to this story, I mean, you put yourself in the shoes of this audience, they're like, what? What kind of scumbag is this guy? That's unbelievable. Do you feel the anger towards this guy? Like that righteous indignation of, I cannot believe that he would ever do that. Who would do that? You've just been forgiven a debt there was no way you could ever pay. Incomprehensible. And so you turn around and, and somebody owes you, I mean, yeah, so somebody owes you a little bit of money. You, you should have just forgiven that. But 30, he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. I can't believe this guy. You know that guy that you just let go? You know what he just did? Can you believe that? Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. You can understand that. But then Jesus drops this little line on the disciples. And this is how seriously... Jesus takes forgiveness. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's kind of heavy. That's quite a story, Jesus. That's a heavy statement, right? And we could spend some time doing some theological you know, work around salvation, all this stuff, and like, you know, about how forgiveness breaks off our intimacy with God and a bunch of different things. But we we're, we won't take the time to get into all that today. I just want to leave you with the weight of what Jesus says here. And the fact that forgiveness to Jesus is not like an optional thing for his followers. It's not an extra credit thing. It's not just something for, you know, those, you know, you're a follower of Jesus. And if you want those extra brownie points, you know, you do this, an extra jewel in the crown or all that, you know of Christianese talk Jesus sees forgiveness as something essential for every one of his followers as something vital as something required not optional not optional now if you're a follower of Jesus you know you likely know this or if you don't now you do right And so you tried to let go of things, but then there's often those one or two things that you just have such a hard time letting go of, a hard time forgiving. And I think part of that, maybe because of some spiritual ideas about forgiveness that are not biblical and actually end up hurting people. That's what we've been talking about in this series, some spiritual ideas that hurt people. And so what I want to do is I want to take, I want to look at five ideas about forgiveness about what forgiveness is not, what real biblical forgiveness is not. And then I wanna look at five things that real biblical forgiveness is. And so if you're taking notes, you may wanna write, jot a couple of these down here. Five things that forgiveness is not. First thing is this, that forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. This is a spiritual idea that I believe hurts people all over. And it's something you've heard. How many of you have heard the phrase, forgive and Forget. Come on. How many of you have heard the phrase? Yeah, everybody, right? You've heard the phrase. Somebody said it to you at some point. Forgive and forget. And while that's a, a great phrase and a great, um, <laughs> a great thing, especially for a lot of the minor things that happen in life, just move on. Forgive and forget. It's not worth taking the time to get all riled up about it. Just let it go. That's maturity, right? But some of you have discovered in some of the deep, pain and wounds that you've experienced in life that you are very unable to forgive or to forgive and forget. You've tried to forgive, but you, you, you found you can't forget. And you've tried. It, let me just ask a question. How many of you have ever been successful at trying to forget anything? Anybody? <laughs> no. I mean, you know, you get older and you start forgetting things, Right? You forget this or that. You, you, know, you forget where you put your car keys. You forget some of the, the details and you know, of how big that fish actually was. <laughs> Guys. But I'm guessing when it comes to your deepest hurts and pains, uh, you've had a pretty hard time forgetting them, haven't you? And see, when this, this idea that to forgive means you have to forget, for some, you've just given up on forgiving because you figured out, I can't forget. I've tried and I can't. And every time that thought comes back in and that memory comes back in, you just feel guilty in life. And see, where this comes from actually is the idea in Scripture. It comes from uh, where Jesus, or not Jesus, but uh, in the New Covenant, we just celebrated uh, during communion that Jesus offers the passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. God says this, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Remember their sins no more. Now, this was something that maybe you recall hearing in Sunday school or something growing up, that if you ever confessed something to God a second time, you know, you did a sin and you confessed it and told God you were sorry and you still felt guilty, and so tomorrow you confessed it again, like he just completely forgot. He didn't even know what you're talking about. What? Like somehow God has amnesia. And it comes from this kind of idea that God will remember your sins No more. And here's just the issue. Let me just say this. We have a major theological problem if this is true, if this is actually how it functions. Because um, I'm a Bible believing Christian. I believe that God inspired His Word, the Bible, right? And so what we're we're trying to say is if if this idea of forgiveness is true, that God actually can't just can't remember that, can't recall that. That means there's a whole lot of incidents in the book that he wrote he just can't remember. I don't think he's reading his own book. You see, I mean, God is sovereign, right? He can, he's power, all powerful. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. And so what you see, actually, um, let me give you an example. Uh, one of the most notorious ones. I'll say two names, and I bet it's notorious that you know what the whole story is about. David and Bathsheba. Nod your head, right? You remember the story. It's notorious sin. 3,000 years later, we, we all have heard of it. We all know a little bit about what that whole notorious incident was about. Yeah, David, man, took another man's wife, killed the guy. Can't believe that. And so what you're saying, somehow God forgot that? Oh, but it's all over the pages of the Bible. No. It's not like he has some sort of amnesia about this thing. Here's how the, the term "remember" works in the scriptures. See, the problem is a lot of times things get lost in translation between English and, and the original language. In the original language, it literally when God says he remembers us, let me give you an example. In, in Genesis eight, it says, "God remembered Noah. It's about four months or five, quite a ways into the flood. Noah's floating out on the uh, on the, uh, you know, the waters in the midst of the flood. And it says, "God remembered Noah." Now, what's going on here? Did God, like, one day just kind of think, like, oh, no, I left the faucet on. Noah's out there. I hope he's okay. Is that what it means? No. No. God was watching him the whole time. When it talks about remembering him, it means renewing his action with is a good way to think of that. Same thing, um, reinitiating his action with. And so, um, same thing with the people of Israel in Egypt. God remembered them, right? It wasn't like he'd forgotten them. He is just going to move actively in that time, in that moment again uh, to bring something about. So, it means this God will not hold us, when it talks about God remembering our sins no more, it means that God will not hold us liable for our sin. And that God no longer will respond to us in light of our sin. That's what it means. That's a beautiful promise. That's a beautiful promise. That God says, you're you're forgiven and I'm not going to respond to you in light of your sin. It's forgiven. It's forgiven. So, forgiveness is not forgetting. Second thing is this. Forgiveness is not acting like nothing happens. It's not acting like nothing happened. And just kind of going, oh, it's nothing happened. It's, you know just sort of forgetting it and and shoving it behind you. It's not that at all. In fact, just a few verses before this passage we just read in in Matthew 18. It says this, that if your brother sins, here's, here's the, Jesus lays out this sort of method that how you deal with things if you've been offended by somebody of faith. If your brother sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. And so Jesus says, you, are you expected in forgiveness just to completely let it go, treat it, and act like nothing ever happened? No, it's not acting like nothing ever happened. Third thing is this, that forgiveness doesn't mean you no longer feel the pain. And see, for some of you, this is a big struggle and this is something that's created hurt in your life because you've forgiven, you've legitimately forgiven. Um, but then, man, there's those times when you see something it just triggers, all that pain comes flooding back and you think, man, have I not forgiven this? And there's certain hurts and wounds that although they will lessen with time, they will linger with you throughout your lifetime. That's just the way life works. The only way you can quit hurting is to emotionally die. And God doesn't want a bunch of robots. And so there's certain things in your life that will hurt. There will be pain associated with them. But just because you still experience some pain around something doesn't mean you can't forgive. Fourth thing is this forgiveness does not mean no consequences. Forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't mean no consequences. In the story of David and Bathsheba, David repents. You can read it in Psalm 51. It's beautiful. He, he fully repents to God for his sin. And the prophet comes to him and he says, Your sin is forgiven. God forgave you. You're not gonna die. Your sin is forgiven. But there were some serious consequences that David had to go on to live with. God said, You know, the sword is never going to depart from your family. Basically, the consequence of what you did set off a chain of natural events and consequences. This is going to wreck, this is going to destroy your family. The sword would never depart from his family, he wouldn't be able to build the temple. Um, One day, his own son would dishonor him in public in a very similar way that he had dishonored Bathsheba's husband in private. Some terrible consequences that David went on to live with. But here's the beautiful thing. He didn't start over like, just because God forgives or just because you forgive doesn't mean that there's never any consequences. It doesn't mean that you don't call the police or even seek justice in a circumstance. What David did get was a second chance. And this does mean that forgiveness is allowing people that are truly repentant the chance to start over. But it doesn't mean to start over from no consequences sometimes. Sometimes there's very real consequences that go on and last. Sometimes a relationship is altered for a significant amount of time. And David didn't get, to, get it to start over. There were consequences that went on, but he did get a second chance. And he experienced incredible grace. Incredible grace. He went on, and a good portion of his writings are included in the all, all-time bestseller of all times, you know, the Bible. His Psalms have ministered to so many people, provided hope. Through his line and through the son Solomon that actually came through Bathsheba, the Messiah was born. And so God, in his grace, moved in that situation. And in spite of the pain that he still went on to experience, God brought some real blessing out of, in the midst of all that, right? But it didn't mean no consequences. The fifth thing, forgiveness doesn't mean trust is restored immediately. See, trust is something you earn, right? If I invite you for the first time, you're probably, or if I meet you for the first time, um, you know, on uh, the day before Christmas, you're probably not invited over to the house for Christmas dinner, right? That's a position of trust. Trust takes time to earn, doesn't it, for most people? That's how relationships work. And trust takes time to be restored. Trust is granted, But because if somebody has really um, betrayed a trust, it doesn't mean that that it doesn't take time to be restored. There is a process of restoration. There's a process. Now, you, you allow somebody truly repentant to begin that process, right? To come back into relationship, but it doesn't mean that the relationship is the same. It doesn't mean... Forgiveness doesn't mean you allow somebody into the same place where they can hurt you in the same way over and over again, that you make it easy for the same person to hurt you in the same way over and over again. There may be some boundaries that have to be set up. There may be something that has been altered now in the way that relationship works. It may take years. For some, the trust may may not come back in that area, right? Doesn't mean it's restored immediately because it has to trust is something that's earned, right? And so those are five things that forgiveness is not. Now, I want to talk about five things that forgiveness is, real biblical forgiveness. Forgiveness is choosing to embrace reality or the reality of the situation you're in while letting go of the bitterness. It's choosing to embrace reality while letting go of the bitterness. Paul in Ephesians 4.31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Bitterness and rage and slander, speaking bad about other people, right? And forgiveness is this idea. What it is is it's deciding to live with the consequences of what's been done to you without being angry and bitter about it. Because here's the thing, with whatever's been done to you, you have to live with it anyway, don't you? You don't have a choice whether or not you have to live with it. You have to live with it. But where your choice is, is how you're going to live with it. Are you going to live with it with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hanging onto it with your fist uh, clenched tightly? Or are you going to let go of that? And choose to move on. You're still going to have to deal with the same consequences, the same reality that you've now, that's your new reality, right? And that's the idea is you, you, you got to embrace the reality of what is. But in the midst of that, you have to let go of all the bitterness associated with it. Second thing is this. Forgiveness is choosing to let go of human revenge. It's choosing to let go of human revenge. It doesn't mean you don't want to see justice. It doesn't mean you don't want to see there's not a longing in you to make things right. But here's what it is. It's choosing to let go of that anger that's driving you towards revenge. How many of you know, um, how many of you experienced a little road rage? Not personally, because you wouldn't, but somebody else towards you, right? Yeah, none of you are going to admit it. Of course you have. You accidentally cut somebody off, and then they just gave you the most friendly international wave out the window, right, and laid on the horn. Now, here's the thing about revenge. You accidentally cut them off. You don't think it was a big deal because it was an accident. You kind of like waved and said, I'm sorry, right, and you just expect they're going to let it go because that's the mature thing to do. But they feel like they are now behind, right? The score isn't even, is it? Now they're one down. And so they give you um, a friendly wave and a honk, you know, and some international peace signs out the window. And now what do you feel? You don't feel like it's even, do you? You feel like you're behind in this whole process. And so you lay on the gas, right? And you pull up next to them And then your wife looks over at you and goes, you're a pastor. And you're like, you're right. But see, because here's the thing with revenge. You never feel like you're even you never feel like you're even. This is why God, all the way back in the Old Testament, um, one of the laws he had, and it seems kind of barbaric to us now, but if you think about in ancient times, everything would escalate. Somebody, you know, um, cut you off with their camel and you'd hack their their arm off and then they'd come after you and burn down your whole village. And it was this escalation thing, right? And in the midst of all that escalation, because nobody ever feels like you're even, you always feel like you're one behind. In the midst of that, God said, hey, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, one for the other, no more. You can't escalate. It seems kind of barbaric to us today, but then it was this incredible freedom of, wow, you don't escalate. There's a, there's a crime and there's a punishment, right? And that's where it stops. That's where it stops. And Jesus, with, with forgiveness, Jesus takes it one step further. He says, you, you got to trust God, that God is in control. Paul, writing in Romans, he says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. In other words, bring shame to him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so it's choosing to, to say, God, I, I'm going to let you deal with this, that you're God and I'm not, instead of me choosing to get all angry and bitter and start plotting how I'm going to take vengeance against this person and, and one-up them or make the score even, which won't actually accomplish that. It's saying, God, you're in control. I'm going to let you, and I'm going to let go of it. Paul says again in, in Timothy, he's talking about somebody that hurt him in a real big way. He says this, first, second Timothy 4, 14, Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. See, forgiveness isn't pretending nothing happened. I think the guy that wrote all this about forgiveness had forgiven this guy. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. In other words, there are some bad people in this world that do some really bad things. But trust that God is in control and God can deal with them. Instead of you having to take revenge for yourself, it's choosing to let go of human revenge. Number, number three uh, is this, that forgiveness is a choice. Emotions often follow later. And one of the reasons why so many people have a hard time forgiving is that just their emotions are not there. And they're like, I don't, don't want to forgive this person. Because you feel like if you're forgiving them, you're letting them off the hook. You're somehow saying what they did was okay. And that's not the point at all. And so emotions often fall later. And So here's, here's a great thing to do. If you find yourself in the, in the place where you just are struggling to forgive a circumstance in your life, your, your emotions just aren't there. You can, you can pray and act, actually give God, say, God, I'm not there, but I want to I want to ask you and say, God, I give you permission to work in my life and change my heart. Change my emotions. And in the meantime, I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to forgive. The fourth thing is biblical forgiveness is a process. It's a process. Now, it's a that means it's usually not just a one-time event. What most of you will discover is you forgive somebody, and then um, either they, they do it again, or they do something else, or they make another snide remark, or whatever, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in a place where you got to forgive again, or you just feel all that bitterness start to come back up. And understanding that forgiveness is a process. One thing I, I love to encourage people is when you feel that bitterness and unforgiveness, take your hands in front of you clenched like this, and just make a habit of opening them and going, I forgive you. Speaking it out, I forgive you. When you feel it coming up again, you do it again. I forgive you. Not necessarily right to their face, right? Although there are those times. But you can forgive someone without actually expressing that directly to them. Forgiveness is often a process. And then the fifth thing is this, that forgiveness is a response to how you've been forgiven. See, the the only way you really can forgive these, these big deal events, the real deep pains in your life, is by the power of God. And it says, as you find his grace and his mercy for you and you embrace and understand what he truly did for you. Ephesians 4.32 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, Just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. Let's read that together one time. This is one we quote a lot in our house. If you have small kids, this is a great one. And you have to often quote it because this isn't a natural human thing. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. How did God forgive you? He took your sin upon himself. He paid a debt you could never pay. The gospel talks about how we were still sinners. While we're enemies of God, he died for us. He gave his life. And see, the cross puts everything into perspective. The cross puts it all in perspective that he literally gave his life and died to pay for your sins, to restore right relationship between you and God. If you've you've embraced what he's done for you when he died and rose again, he paid a debt that you could never pay. You've been adopted into a family, a position that, that you could never have achieved on your own. The most extravagant, incredible grace he gave to you in Jesus Christ. The ability to know you're right with God and God will not hold your sins against you. And you can have peace with God. Incredible. And it's only as you begin to experience and embrace that and personally um, know the depth of that that you can really forgive as you have been forgiven. So, Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom, we're going to close with this. We're not going to go to the last couple slides I have on there. As she stands there, as she's standing there with this guy in front of her, one of her brutal guards that she remembers and all the emotions come flooding back to her and all the memories and and watching her sister die and knowing this guy had so much to do with it. And all those emotions she's feeling. And she realizes, I've been forgiven so much and yet I am struggling to forgive right now. How could, how could just him simply asking and asking for forgiveness, how could that erase the slow, terrible, painful death? Her sister died. And she knew in that moment. Here's what she writes. She said, I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience, Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No matter what the physical scars, those who had nursed the bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And she says, and so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know if I'd Joe back up, and he's going to just play some little guitar behind me as we close here. Because here's the thing. Some of you are just having a hard time still forgiving things in your life. Some of you are, are still keeping score. You gotta stop it. It's what the whole 77 or 70 times seven is. One of the best ways that you can, one of the best ways that you can move forward in forgiveness when you find yourself in this place is you can take an inventory of all that you've done wrong. I mean, just stop and take an inventory. Take a walk, find a quiet place, and start thinking of all the things that you've been forgiven of. It says forgive as Christ Jesus forgave you. Think of all the times from, you know, as little as you can remember when you were just a real punk to your parents. The growing out of the times you've done hurtful things. So I think back things that God's forgiven me of. All the things, those things you wish you could take back, those words that came out of your mouth, that you saw them come out and then you're like, and you wish you could take them back and you've been forgiven of that. Those times you've abandoned others and broken others' trust, And as you do that, thank the Lord for your forgiveness, that he's forgiven you in Christ Jesus. For some of you, you just have to give the situation to God. You have to trust him that, God, I am giving this to you. I've been hanging on to the hurt and the bitterness and the anger because I want to control it and I want to take revenge. God, I'm going to give that back to you. I'm not going to respond to the other person in that manner, in that way anymore. I'm going to respond out of forgiveness and just letting it go. That's how I want to respond. So I want to invite you to stand. And here's how we're going to close today. I want to just give you the opportunity, if we can just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you just stretch your arms out in front of you. And for some, you can't really think of something right now that's, that's really... Um, tearing you up. And I'm so glad. But chances are, at some point in your future, you're going to have to forgive like this. Others of you, man, this is so fresh. This is so real. I want to invite you, just clench your hands in front of you. And then, all together, let's open our hands and just say, I forgive you. Here we go. One, two, three. I forgive you. Let's do that one more time. Just clench your hands. Think of whatever situation that is you've been struggling to forgive. Think of the way that Jesus has forgiven you. And then as an act of the will, not something that's just driven by emotion, I wanna invite you just to open your hands and say that one more time. Here we go, one, two, three. I forgive you. Lord, I pray you would honor that decision in the hearts of so many people here who, Lord, want to let go and obey your command to forgive. I pray you would free them from the, from the hurt and the pain that they're experiencing. You would allow them to walk in an incredible freedom, Lord. And for Lord, for those people in the room that have not yet experienced your forgiveness, would you just let them call out and ask you for your forgiveness right, right now? In their heart, Lord, that they would call out to you, ask for forgiveness and commit their lives to following you. Lord, we love you. And pray you would just, as things keep coming up, that you would allow our friends in this place just to keep forgiving as They've been called to do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.